find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the Masterclass, the May Night Tactical Podcast, or should I say welcome to episode one of 10 Days of Ten Hag. We are back, Rob, after a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of time off, and uh, well, well, a season to forget, to be honest. And now what we'll be doing is we'll be doing a series of uh, podcasts and shows on Eric Ten Hag, one episode per day. There'll be 10 episodes on different topics on what Ten Hag needs to fix for Manchester United to return to where they should be. Guys, as always, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, give us a follow on at Hayden underscore Robani, give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B, and give us a follow on at TF Masterclass as well on Twitter. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, you know the drill. Rob, welcome back. How are you feeling? You're actually a little bit under the weather, aren't you? And we've got a lot to get through. And there's a lot of uh, work for Ten Hag to do, isn't there, in this coming season and beyond? Yes, uh, I apologise in advance for croaky voices and coughing. I do indeed have the COVID. So I'm just getting over that and trying to work through it. Um, but yeah, new season, you know, and pre-season is only now four weeks away. You know, it, it all comes very quick, doesn't it? It starts early, you know, the, you, you're licking your wounds after a really bad campaign and suddenly new managers, new players, and it all starts again, doesn't it? You know, so fast. So... Yeah, we're going to go through these early parts of Ten Hag's tenure before we've even seen anything of looking at what he does as a manager. And doing 10 days of Ten Hag is looking at the 10 things that he's going to have to address literally on day one. So day one has come and gone. But when he introduces himself to the squad at Carrington, which is now only two or three weeks away, he will have to have some of this stuff either in place or at least prepared to get the most out of this United squad. A lot of uh, comments, obviously, saying welcome back. And guys, love it to see you all. Make sure you get all your comments coming in. We will answer, try and answer as many questions as possible. And uh, we love your engagement, as always. So thank you very much to all the listeners. But Rob, before we go and look at Ten Hag and his systems, that he's played at Ajax, some of the strengths, and then we'll talk about the striking position. We are going to be talking Ten Hag and Ronaldo today. What I want to ask you is... Uh, United obviously didn't go and sign Darwin Nunes, who is signed for Liverpool. Uh, so it does look like Cristiano Ronaldo is staying for another year. Before we delve into it, and I think a lot of listeners will know your sort of views on Ronaldo, but how are you feeling about Darwin Nunes obviously going to Liverpool and not coming to Manchester United? Because you were an advocate of his. I had a few doubts. We did a few shows on him. If anyone does want to look at uh, and learn a bit more about Nunes, probably not now he's at Liverpool, do check out the podcast he did with Aaron Barton. But how are you feeling about that? Because City now have got Haaland and Alvarez. Alvarez is the one I think we should have got, to be honest, at 18 million. And um, now we're seeing Nunes at number nine. May are probably going to go into the season with Ronaldo. Marcus Rashford will probably play t- uh, at number nine as well. And we might see Martial get a few games in what seems to be last chance saloon for the fifth time. I feel fine about Darwin Nunes because, as I've said yesterday and, and previously, it's not a fair fight between Liverpool and Manchester United at the moment if they're both going for the same player. Just simply isn't. Um, 
the deal that Liverpool put on the table for Nunes was superior to Manchester United's offer. United were seriously interested in the player going back weeks and weeks. And obviously we spoke about that and covered that. But I also do not believe, Haydar, in green, green-eyed envy towards football clubs or players. So he's gone to Liverpool. Good luck to him. They're losing Mane. Can he replace what Sadio Mane has done for Liverpool over the last five, six, seven years? My answer to that is I'm not so sure. I think he's a really good player. I think he would have fitted what Manchester United wanted to do. And you can play him on the left. You can play him through the centre. There's a lot of upsides to Darwin Nunes. But there is also some weaknesses. So I don't actually think that even though Liverpool have paid the best part of €100 million in this deal for the player, that they're massively improving their team. So why should I, as a United fan, worry about that too much? Might be a year or two down the line, Haydar, where we're having the same conversation and going, like when Mane left Southampton, wouldn't it have been good if United had got him? You know, Darwin Nunes is now the best striker in the world, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's no point thinking like that at the moment, is there? You know, we've got enough on our plates at Manchester United. There's going to be signings, there's going to be incomings and outgoings. We'll talk about all of that, not necessarily today, but certainly through the whole of the 10 days of Ten Hag and moving forward with the masterclass. Um, but I feel okay about it. Like you just said there about Cristiano. I still think that the ideal scenario would be that you would have a new striker to to start the season with. But Manchester United have decided that they're not looking at strikers per se at the moment. They're looking at forwards. And we'll talk about one or two of those players who Manchester United will be bringing in or hopefully bringing in now in the next two or three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We'll cover that later on. We will show a possible Manchester United team that we'll see going into next season. I just want to bring up this comment here, Rob, saying we need a squad rebuild and spending 100 million of our of your budget on a forward in the summer where we need to fix other areas isn't sensible. I do agree. I do agree with that point. <clears throat> I think that is something that has been uh, has been said a lot, I think, on Twitter and, and obviously in the media. And May Knight are concentrating their efforts right now on Frankie de Jong and other players. But let's move on now to... Uh, let's talk a little bit about Eric Ten Hag's systems and, uh, you know, sort of how he's set up for Ajax. So what we have on the screen, we have a graphic here. And uh, a lot of people talk, obviously, about the 4-2-3, and that is a preferred system for Eric Ten Hag. But he does have flexibility, and he does like to play 4-2-3-1. We did see that last season with Ajax. I mean, Ajax played this system you know, 21 times in the area of the VC, scored 55 goals, conceded 13, and that was 15 wins, three draws, and three losses. So when you look at this side, Rob, I mean, look, <clears throat> let's just look from a, you know, just an overview there aren't loads and loads of, uh, you know, star players in there, are there? Not loads of superstars. And that's what always stands out to me. But And I look at coaches and say, how good are coaches really with the players at the, their disposal? I mean, you look here, Sebastian Haller didn't have the greatest time at West Ham. Padic was okay at Southampton. Uh, obviously, we know Anthony is a good player. Graven Bursch has just gone to Bayern Munich, good player. You've got Daley Blint, who was at Manchester United, who, uh, you know, wasn't really considered a superstar. All of these things considered, Ten Hag has got them functioning very, very well. And I do think that initially, although fans want to see 4-3-3, looking at the squad and looking at the players that will be coming in, I don't think we'll see anything other than a 4-2-3 run initially under Eric Ten Hag. I think that's all he can play when he comes in. So 4-3-3 is the utopia. <clears throat> and we'll explain towards the end of the show why I say that, why 4-3-3 works so well in all the big leagues in, in Europe, especially in the Premier League, when we talk about Manchester City and Liverpool. But it's about what United players are going to start off as a base. You know, on day one, on day one when they set up there at Carrington, 
What do the players already know? What does Ten Hag prefer to do? And where do they go from there? So the truth is it's 4-2-3-1. It's not a double pivot in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer style. It's not really the, the, the McFred connection that I'm sure McFred will feature in plenty of games. But it's much more of a way of getting the ball off the centre-backs and the full-backs and progressing the ball quickly along the ground, something more possession-based. So we, we put up um, Ten Hag's system here from the Eredivisie just to show that for 21 games of that championship-winning campaign, that that's what they played. They didn't play 4-3-3, but 4-2-3-1 can very easily and quickly become 4-3-3 in real time. And that's really how this manager tends to play it is that he will transition between the two. He won't be, say, as rigid as Ole was with 4 2 3, one where you didn't really see a lot of moving parts, did you? It's just kind of... They, they might swap the wingers over one side or Bruno might sit a little bit deeper, but very, very rarely pl- kind of move the system around. Whereas on the flip side, Ralph Ranick uh, would quite often, in his 4 2 2 kind of flip it to a 4 4 and move his system around to, to kind of counteract looking for a counter-press that never came. So I think when, when we look at this manager, he's going to set up like this to start off with and he'll build his pieces around that. Make a good point about, uh, you know, sort of the rigidity under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And that's why I don't really get hung up on formations. We've been saying this on this show for a while now. You know, a lot of people say, oh, 4-3-3. Uh, obviously, and we will talk about 4-3-3 later and we will talk about Liverpool and City because that is the formation that is winning pretty much all the trophies at the minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, a 4 one with one manager is not the same as a 4 one with another manager. I think that's really important to, you know, to establish, you know, just because someone, a team is playing that formation does not mean that they're going to play it in the same way. I think that's people do get hung up on it. Um, let's look at Manchester United's 4 one You can see here, it's quite funny because obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer played this because of the fact that Manchester United didn't have the personnel to play a 4 didn't have a defensive midfielder that could play in that single pivot. So obviously he often went with McFred. We saw Ranyu come in, try and play, you know, 4-2-2-2. He tried to play a little bit of 4-3-3, didn't work, and reverted back to the only Solskjaer formation here. As you can see, obviously, we have huge deficiencies in Manchester United's midfield. You can see with Scott McTominay and Fred. You know, that is the key area for me for Ten Hag. And Ten Hag knows this, he's got to fix this. But when you look at the other pieces here, uh, Rob, what are your sort of feelings with this with this starting eleven? Because obviously Ten Hag has heavy, heavy emphasis on there will be verticality, keeping possession, uh, you know, the, knowing where your positions are, making sure that you're staying in your zones. Uh, there will be some rotations as well. From what we've seen from these current players and looking at this starting eleven, how quickly can that be adopted? It will take time, like teaching a system will always take time and you have to be patient. So I remember when Ralph Ranit came and we both said, you know, and I certainly said I was, you know, really happy that he'd come to the football club, but do not be surprised if you see some stinking performances because to teach stuff to footballers, teaching old dogs new tricks is hard at times. But the foundation of 4-2-3-1 is already in these players. They've played it for years. The shape is there. They know how to do that shape. If they have better register players in the middle who can get the ball from number six and move it to number eight and ten quickly, then you're away. And the problem with Ole's system here with his 4-2-3-1 is he just didn't have that. You'd have Bruno Fernandes dropping deeper to try and make up that that role of someone who could be a, a ball player deeper. But let's be honest, 
when Bruno Fernandes picks the ball up deeper, he gets worse, doesn't he? So I think that the system itself is not the issue. And as we said, before, as you said at the start, you know, the fluidity will need to be there. And that's what we'll see with the signings. The signings that Manchester United are trying to make in the next two or three weeks are going to reflect having a formation that works on day one, but then can be worked through over the next two to three to four months. Absolutely. And guys, look, I know there's a question in the comments from Fuzi saying that, uh, you know, will Ten Hag go with a false nine with Bruno? We will talk about that later on. So uh, we will cover all of that and possible main night formations with and without Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's talk about some of the characteristics of Ajax. I mean, you look at this and it's, it's, it's mightily impressive. Let's be honest. You know, they're very strong at finishing scoring chances, attacking set pieces. They really do utilize the wide areas. You do see the wide players, uh, especially on the left-hand side. You know, that's combination heavy. You look on the right-hand side, you know, with, with for example, let's say Anthony Ziyech before that, you know, strong in 1v1s, creativity, providing some uh, service and delivery, you know, cutting in on, on to the left foot from, from the right-hand side. You do see here as well, look, creating through through balls. So very, very strong in possession and creating chances. Some of the main United are very, very poor at, especially when you compare them to a lot of the top teams across Europe. Or even in the league, you know, the teams that uh, aren't much better than Manchester United, we're not particularly good there. And let's look at some of the weaknesses as well, though. Um, you know, defending counterattacks, that could be a concern, stopping opponents from creating chances as well. So what are your sort of overall thoughts when you're looking at Ajax's uh, characteristics? I mean, it's, it's everything that I expected, you know, short passing, possession-based, controlling territory, something that we've seen Ajax do, you know, throughout Ten Hag's uh, reign as manager there. Yeah, I've heard a lot in the last few weeks, kind of a lot of speculation about what the new manager's going to do and how he's going to work it and a lot about the counter-press. As we said, I think kind of going back to when the first rumours about Ten Hag work coming to the football club were there, it's not really a counter-pressing coach. He's kind of does a little bit of that. He plays more counter-attack through possession. Play possession of the ball, look after the ball, protect the game. Very Dutch, but maybe with a modern twist, with more kind of energy at the top end of the pitch. So I think when you kind of look at the strengths, there's nothing that really jumps out. Weaknesses-wise, defending the counter-attacks in the English league would be definitely a massive problem. It's still a problem for Manchester United today, isn't it? That's not a new thing. Uh, and stopping opponents from creating chances. He sounds like the perfect Man United manager, doesn't he? You know what I mean? So this has been the issue for Man United for absolutely weeks and months and years. So these things need to be addressed, but they need to be addressed through signings. And this is why we're more than confident that Manchester United will be making those signings. Because you can't really start with what you've got by playing 4-2-3-1 and saying, right, let's just go with it. There certainly will be lots of players who have been involved with Manchester United the last couple of years who will still be in the team and in and around the squad. But you're going to have to see, I think, something that looks more like a Pep Guardiola team in terms of possession through midfield and releasing the attack and controlling the game through a mid-block and moving forward rather than, say, a Liverpool team who are classical counter-press, very high up the pitch, three behind three, pushing hard, setting traps, and basically two passes in and goal. That's the Ralph Ranjit way, isn't it? We talked about that a lot. I don't think we'll be seeing that at Manchester United next season. I want to challenge you, Rob, on uh, on, on something. And uh, I think what, something we'll both agree on is that this current Man United side are really, really poor, in my opinion, in terms of their pressure success, let's say, you know, throughout the season. Mm-hmm. 
Ralph Ranić really struggled with it. And this is a point because I think you're seeing Ranić go to Austria. I know international football, but he's, what he's done in a couple of games over there shows that any, any player can press, in my opinion. It's, it's about a mindset, right? Unless, obviously, you're very, very old or you're 37, you're playing number nine, Man United, <laughs> Ronaldo. But it is a mindset, isn't it? You know, I think these players, they showed either they weren't capable of pressing in terms of physically, which I don't agree with because you're a professional footballer, or they just didn't want to do it or didn't have the appetite to do it. And I think that's more likely that we saw from this squad. And what we've seen, though, is that this squad doesn't have the appetite to do this consistently. You know, press high from the front. Uh, we saw it under Ralph Rannick for about half an hour and then a few more times in the games to come after that. So I agree with you. I don't think we'll see... Well, I did, we don't see that much, you know, counter-pressing under Ten Hag or at all at Ajax. But I think he might do that. And the reason why I think that is because this current squad cannot do what he wants to do consistently, you know, that high that high press. And for now, there's playing at number nine as well. We've seen that already. It's not going to happen. So he has to find a way to work with what he's got. He's not going to go and be able to get a brand new number nine. You understand what I'm trying to say, don't you? He's going to mm. have to work with what he's got while bringing in players that say De Jong and other players. And what I think we will see, though, is we will see a high line. But then that also, and we will talk about the goalkeeper in different episodes, but then you'll need a keeper then if you're playing a high line to be a sweeping keeper. So that's another issue. So I do think he's got two challenges. One at the top of the pitch, Ronaldo, in terms of without the ball. I think with the ball, he's going to score a lot of goals. I really do. I think we'll create a lot of chances and Ronaldo will score. But the defence starts from the top. And I think I don't see with him there that United can go and press consistently. But I think we might counter-press. And now that he's a permanent manager, he's going to say, if you don't do this, then, then you'll be you know, you'll be on the bench and be at the club. I think the thing is with the counter-press, the key trigger to it is the movement of your forwards. So what do your forwards do in the backup of the midfield? And the reason why it didn't work with Ralph Ranić is that the United players just simply not disciplined enough to do it. So like you talked there about desire, and I think that is part of it. But I don't believe that the Man United players didn't want to win. I don't think they went out on the pitch and went, you know what, we'll just lose today because the season's over. And I don't believe that. I just don't think they had the core discipline. Again, let's think about someone like Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes can press, he can do all of that. But in terms of his shape in, the, in his uh, position, he is really ill-disciplined, isn't he? We talked about Ronaldo in the past. Ronaldo likes to go for a little wonder, doesn't he? I'm going to the left for a bit. I'm dropping in. I'm dropping out. I'm going to stand in the middle for a little bit. Those are problems when you're a manager trying to create a system. I don't think we will see any counter-pressing in the first six months at Manchester United. I think we might get there eventually, but it's a little bit like Jurgen Klopp again at Liverpool when, when day one happened. You didn't get counter-pressing, get you know, Gagan pressing style straight away at Liverpool. You had to build it. You had to train these, the, you know, these boys to do what you want them to do. And I think that's where Manchester United will be. I think they'll set up with, with the 4-2-3-1. It will be about looking after the ball a little bit more. And slowly but surely, you hope the play will start to improve. The players will get the system a little bit more. And Manchester United can play more on the front foot. Something also to note, Rob, is that when Klopp joined Liverpool, although he favours 4-2-3, he did go initially with a 4-2-3-1. The players suited hmm. that more. And obviously, he had he spent two or three years gutting that squad and, and built, bringing in players that were able to play it. And uh, I think that's important. I think that's probably initially what Ten Hag will do <clears throat> until he has the players to play 4-3-3. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what he does do. But let's move on now. So this is a 4-2-3-1. We've tried to change it up a little bit, haven't we? You know, we don't want to put McFred in. We're trying to show you players that Man United obviously are interested in that 
could very well come into this football club as well this summer. As you can see here, De Gea in goal. The back four is the same. You know, no signings there, no timber there. And we, we can maybe talk about that uh, briefly as well. Brand new pivots with Neves and De Jong. De Jong obviously is someone... And there's a question here saying, are we fearful that we're dawdling on the De Jong deal? Could we mean losing out on other targets? That's how I feel. But I think United, you know, will likely get their man there. Anthony on the right-hand side. Bruno is the number 10. Sancho on the left. And let's... Uh, also talk about Ronaldo at the top. So looking at this, I think this is actually probably how Man United will look to line up probably in the, in the opening couple of games. I think that side, especially sort of, I mean, ignore the defence, but, you know, from De Jong and Neves up, it's, it's a strong side. It's a side that I think that can execute some of uh, Ten Hag's principles. I think there are concerns without the ball, but all in all, what are your thoughts with this 4-3-1 with Ronaldo at the, you know, at the point of the diamond? Well, first of all, talking about transfers, we are on day four of the transfer window. So I know Manchester United fans are looking at Haaland, looking at Darwin Nunes, and the green-eyed monsters are all coming out. Calm down. No one is dawdling anything. It takes time to do deals. We're in the middle of an international period. Most players are with their international teams at the moment. Here's a question, though, Rob. How how can Liverpool then go and get the play? How can you know City go and get? They've signed two strikers well, before. Harlan's Harlan's a deal that's been a year in the making. Excuse me, as <coughs> I cough away. It's just been a year in the making. It's not been done in five minutes. And Darwin Nunes has been burning away for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we've known he's coming to the Premier League, and he just had to choose which club he wanted to go to. He chose Liverpool. That's it. Done. I think football fans. You know, there's been times when Man United have been quicker and bought players and you go, well, that's the wrong signings. It, it, calm down. It's early. It's really early doors. So, no, I'm not worried at the moment. <coughs> Excuse me again. But I do think when you look at De Jong, Nevers, Anthony, they are genuine targets. Manchester United are in for all of them. They will be submitting bids across that. De Jong is not far away. And hopefully it's something we'll be able to talk about very soon in a positive fashion. But he just talked there about the shape in the system and about Neves and off-ball and on-ball. I think most important for Man United is not off-ball. We talked about off-ball a lot, and that's why McFred used to get picked. Run around. Let's have players that can run around. Now, let's have players that can pass the ball. I think that's a really important part of it. I need players that can pass the ball. So I've put De Jong and Neves in here because they are the two central midfielders that Manchester United are looking at. And it will be, as what I've called before, a modern number six. So it's not this defensive midfielder thing because teams generally don't play with defensive midfielders. You know, Rodri at Man City is not a defensive midfielder. He's not. He scored like eight goals last year. So you get players who can do the defensive function, like Ruben Neves, but are a modern number six, a register. I get the ball. I move the ball. And I can also do the covering function. I can go and plug gaps when I need to. I can go and get into the tackle when I need to. But I'm not, you know, in Gola Kante. You know, so that's where I think football clubs are going. They're going that way and buying central midfielders that have, that are kind of multifaceted. And that's why De Jong is so essential in this, because that's what he is. Multifaceted midfielder, box to box, can do a million and one different things. Kind of reminds me a little bit of when, when Tony Kroos was at Bayern Munich and Man United wanted Tony Kroos back in those days. It was to it was for him to come in and do this type of role that you can do a little bit of everything. You're smooth, you're a ball player, you can release uh, teams, but you can also sit in front of the defence. You can do different stuff. That's what Ten Hag wants. He wants midfielders that can do that. He does not want Calvin Phillips. 
You know, that's not the kind of player he's looking at. Declan Rice would fall in the middle somewhere, but at the moment he's not available. So I've put these three in there, Anthony, De Jong and Neves. And of course, today's show is about Ronaldo. So this team is built around getting Ronaldo the ball, but also looking after Ronaldo. So playing in this 4-2-3-1, and it's very much the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer shape without the double pivot, just two midfielders that can actually do more box-to-box. You look at Ronaldo there with Bruno. It's something we're all very familiar with, isn't it? It doesn't really make, like, it's not rocket science again. Anthony on the right is obvious. Sancho on the left is obvious. And it would be a very tight, compact shape of being able to have ball retention in the middle of the park and then hopefully allowing Ronaldo to be more free right at the top end of the pitch. Question here, Rob, from Liam. Who's winning the ball back in midfield? I think one of... uh... Well, I'm going to answer partially on this with Ruben Neves is that if you go and look at some of his statistics, I haven't looked for a while, but I remember when we did a show on him last summer, didn't we, Rob? And actually he came out, he came out pretty well in terms of his interceptions. He was a good, he's a good tackler. So I think he is perceivingly good defensively. And I also want to dispel the myths. A lot of people are saying that De Jong's going to play as a number six. He's not going to sit and play as a number six no. at all. So we can dispel that. And if he does, then that defense is in real trouble as well. Something I do want to add to that is that uh, what I do agree with is that, you know, if United keep the ball very, very well, which De Jong and Neves can do, then, you know, it, it almost it won't almost matter that there's someone someone not there to go and do all the destroying and breaking the play up because if the opposition can't get the ball off you and you grind them down like Manchester City do, which is what I expect Ten Hag will want to do as well. Uh, I think that's positive. I do look at the midfield and then I do look at the defence and I think, you know, I would like so, so maybe someone instead of Maguire, um, it, you know, someone maybe with a bit more pace and, and better in one one v one duels. Um, I think that would be that would be something that I'd prefer. But uh, look, United don't have an endless pot of cash, unfortunately, this summer. Let's talk about Anthony actually, because Ronaldo will absolutely love a creative player, you know, on either side. We've seen Jane Sancho, who can be very creative, and we do expect him to to really. Well, I do expect him to explode next season. He needs a big season. But Anthony's very interesting because Ten Hag really does heavily rely on, you know, the player on that right-hand side, a left-foot player, for example. We've seen Ziyech as well, a really good playmaker. He was a, he's a good creator, a good goal threat. And uh, you see Anthony's a very similar profile, I'd say, to that in terms of, you know, being able to, uh, t- you know, 1v1, being able to score goals. He's a good creator. He's a good playmaker. He's able to combine as well. So that's going to be really interesting for, for Cristiano Ronaldo because we've seen Marcus Rashford has been out there. He's not really offered very much in terms of creativity. His end product hasn't been great. Alanga's still a kid. He's still young. So how key is actually Anthony to this system and to Cristiano Ronaldo? Because we obviously, a lot of fans want a striker, but Ten Hag has actually been pretty clear in terms of that he does want uh, you know, Anthony and he does want a right winger. So how important is his addition? <laughs> he's sort of flying on the radar a little bit and Ronaldo would love playing with a player like Anthony in my opinion. Yeah, I think when you look at the shape of the system, it's kind of 4-2-3-1. It's kind of more like 4-5-1, but it's the 4-2-3-1 shape that we all know. Why have I kind of constructed it like this? Well, they are from Manchester United's genuine targets, so they very much could all be at the football club next season. Don't worry too much about Harry Maguire. These things will change over time. Don't get too kind of upset about the fullbacks or whatnot. But when you look at Anthony... Those five behind Ronaldo will be tasked, Haydar, with looking after the ball because that's what proper football teams do. Yeah, when City have the ball in midfield, they don't lose it, do they? They don't go, which one of us is going to be the ball-tackling midfielder today? It doesn't happen. It's not a real thing for the best teams. When you put Fabinho in there or Thiago at Liverpool, are they ball winners? 
No. Defensive metrics are really good. Like you just said there, Ruben Neves, amazing defensive metrics. And I think actually what some of the best in Europe in terms of reclaiming the ball and blocking players moving through and doing a lot of really good defensive work. But no, not Roy Keane. Just one more comparison to that. When we signed Michael Carrick with Paul Scholes, people went, he's not Roy Keane. Did it matter? No, because he's a different kind of player. So this would be a different kind of double pivot. No running around like madmen, like Fred and McTominay. This would be like, I look after my position and we move as a unit. That's where Ronaldo, and I'm talking about Anthony here, will benefit because it's all more front foot football, in control of the game, allowing your forwards to do more kind of predictable movements, which we didn't see last year. Everything was unpredictable, wasn't it, Haydar? Bruno Fernandes, I want to pick the ball up at right back. I'm coming all the way to get it. I'm going to look up. I'm going to play 50-yard ball to Ronaldo. Ronaldo's like, I'm not even running. That was our game, wasn't it, all over? The idea here would be to have overt control of the midfield. Yeah, so something, something to add, Rob. Uh, you know, so people are asking, you know, why you've selected these players. So let's go through each of them. Obviously, we've covered De Jong. Don't need to cover De Jong anymore. Frankie De Jong will be a Manchester United player, most likely in due time. So uh, we expect that to happen. So Ruben Neves and Anthony. Um, and, and there's questions about Timber as well, obviously. Mm -hmm. Timber is a little bit concerned he might not play. But let's be honest. If he, I, I mean, look, if he's going to play right back, I know that he's been playing centre-back. He's going to play right back. He's got Dallow and Mambasaka. He should mm -hmm. walk into the side. Very intelligent player. We did a really good show with James Rowe, guys. If you haven't seen that on, on Yuri and Timber, he's very exciting. Only 20 years old, but so secure in possession. Great decision-making. Um, he's actually the one that probably excites me the most in terms of the players that could possibly come in. He's not coming, unfortunately. <laughs> so we, we he's a player that no doubt that if he was on the market and came onto the market tomorrow, Manchester United would want him. Manchester United have inquired about him. The issue is that Ajax are very, very keen to keep him. They're going to pay him a lot more money. They want to make the next manager the centrepiece being Timber for that team. So that's not a surprise to me. Like He was always one of those players... I think was more about in terms of inquiries, whereas there is real logic behind De Jong, Neves and Anthony. These are players that Manchester United have been in contact with about their clubs, about the moves. So that's why I've kind of included them. I did not put Timber in because of, you know, I don't rate him or anything. I mean, he's a really, really good player. And ideally, I would much prefer him over a Delow. Like, come on, every day of the week. But again, I said, you know, don't get too hung up on those people at the back at the moment because we're not talking about the back line. We're talking about Ronaldo and how do you support Cristiano in there? And this is why I think the glut of the signings are going to be in that middle five. That's where United are targeting those players now. And this is also why they let Darwin Nunes go because Darwin Nunes would fit the system, but he'd be coming in more to play as a nine. He can play on the left, no problem. But you've got Sancho. Sancho is going to play on the left next season. It's just the way it is. So United will buy number nine, I think, eventually. But I do think knowing that they've got Ronaldo on a £25 million contract, half a million pound a week next year, you better be playing the boy. He's not going to sit on the bench when you're paying him half a million pound a week. So it's about making this, uh, I think, working on all the other positions, because let's be honest, there's plenty of them need work and getting those right players in now rather than kind of thinking about a forward that you might be able to wait for a centre forward for maybe even in a year's time. Let's move on now, Rob, to the 4-3-3. So this is obviously what the fans want to see, and this is what we will most likely see once Ten Hag gets those uh, players that he wants. But we have put a version that we could see, and that's uh, you know with Neves sitting 
as uh, the deepest player. You've got De Jong on the right-hand side and Bruno on the left. We've said this many, many times. And look, I'm a massive Bruno Fernandes fan. I'm actually excited to see what he can do under Eric Ten Hag. I don't subscribe to the fact he's an average player. He's a stat padder. But he really does need to improve his uh, performances because he was poor last year. But he's one player that I'm really excited to see under Eric Ten Hag with a bit more discipline. And uh, we'll see if he can do that. But uh, we've seen that when he's a bit deeper, he's better to getting towards goal. You know, bet on the edge of the box, making those runs in, get him, get him, you know, close to goal, get him scoring goals again. And, uh, you know, he's, he is a very creative player, but he can be loose in possession. And we've seen, obviously, here Anthony Ronaldo and Sancho. What are your concerns, though, with the sort of uh, 4-3-3 Ronaldo at the, at the uh, point of attack? You know, because there is a comment here, Rob, from... I'm just going to get it up now. From Jacob, so thanks for your comment. Ronaldo doesn't have to run around to press from the front. He can just stand on one of the centre-backs and, center and mark him out the game. What is your thoughts on that? Wouldn't it be great if football was just that, yeah? yeah just, just stand on one of the centre-backs and just wait for it because that's great, isn't it? It doesn't work like that. Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't very good at 4-3-3 at Real Madrid. Going back, what would they do when they played 4-3-3? They'd put him on the left and let him have at least a channel to work around. Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to start playing 4-3-3 anytime soon. It doesn't really fit him. It means a centre-back who's a ball player literally walked past him into midfield. And did we see that last year when United played these kind of systems? Yes, we did. Because Cristiano does stand still. He can't really stand on the last man. He's not even one of those players anymore, is he, Haydo? He's not really... He doesn't use his pace to kind of break the line or... You know, he's not Cristiano from 10 years ago. He's a guy who's a predator... You need to get the ball to him in the box, in and around the penalty spot, give him a good chance to score. And if you give him a good chance, he generally hits the target, doesn't he? You know, I think, you know, his his actual shot creation of, um, of obvious opportunities wasn't great last year. It was about 50%. You'd think it would be better for someone like Ronaldo, but he scored goals. Looking at the shape, the reason why we put this 4-3-3 up, you just talked about Bruno there. I think you're very polite saying Bruno sometimes gives the ball away. Hmm. Yes. Bruno in this system, dropping to the left or dropping to the right where he has done at times, or even as a kind of number six under Ranić at times, absolute dross at ball retention and ball, ball movement. He's really good at the top end as a 10, gets assists, gets goals. He can help you. But importantly, didn't really help Cristiano last year, did he? Those two together didn't work. Oil and water doesn't work for Portugal, doesn't work for Man United. So this 4-3-3 is just to show our viewers, really, of why Man United will not play 4-3-3 next year. They might want to play 4-3-3 as the season goes on, if they find different methods. And we will suggest one or two for our viewers here today. But if you're going to have Cristiano Ronaldo as your centre-forward, you're probably going to have to play 4-2-3-1 and stick with it and work through it. This would allow here Bruno to drop into that midfield free, but I don't want that. I don't want to see him in that free. I don't think he's good at it. Just he's too rushed. He is too ill-disciplined. He will play too long at times. I just want him to do the simple stuff. Nevers and De Jong will do all the simple stuff all day long, long Haydar. They'll do that. Bruno won't. Bruno will be like, I've got to find Cristiano 800 miles away from me. No. This system will work eventually when Ronaldo's gone. So when Ronaldo's gone in a year's time and he's not going anywhere fast and you've got a striker or a centre-forward that can help you play 4-3-3, then fingers crossed, this will be a system that you will transition into. 
Rob, I'm going to bring up a comment here from him saying, I like Neves as an alternative to De Jong, maybe, but no way I'd want him to hold a fort as, uh, you know, in a single pivot. I mean, this is something that does get said quite a lot. I, I actually do, in some ways, I do agree with, uh, you know, I, I don't think Neves is a natural, like, you know, I think what fans want, okay, let me put it this way. I think what fans want is they wanted a Kamara, you know, they wanted someone who's going to break up play, um, you know, who's going to screen and then and give the ball off. And I think Neves, while he isn't traditionally, he doesn't traditionally do that, like we said earlier, when you look at his statistics, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a tough player. He can do, he can intercept, he can block, he can tackle. Uh, but I think fans obviously want someone who's more specialist in that role. And we're seeing that. We saw that a lot last season when we were talking about midfielders. You know, we did hear that quite a lot. That, you know, he's not a, not, a not a defensive midfielder traditionally or, so, or something like that. It's an obsession of Manchester United fans because defensive midfields always felt like a problem. But I will keep saying it and I'll say it's on blue in the face. The modern game isn't about defensive midfielders. That They might break up play. They might do some of that work. It's about players who can get the ball and move the ball. That's what it's about. So I'm not having Nevers in front there as a kind of Matic. He's not in there to break up play to be a third centre-back, is he? He's to get the ball and to give it to De Jong 10 yards away and to give it to Bruno 10 yards away. And then sometimes look up and go, oh, Ronaldo is in the channel. Oh, Anthony's the other side of the winger. Let's go. That's why you have a player like that. I do think the United fans are just massively obsessed with the whole Roy Keane era, is that you need someone who's got the engine and will smash people and do all of that. And unfortunately, it's just not what it is. I saw in the comments there about Fabinho, someone saying, oh, Fabinho is a defensive player. Well, Philip Fabinho is a defensive player, but he's technical. He's a technical player. He can play wide. He can get the ball and go to left back and be as good on the left side of the pitch and the right side of the pitch as you can in the middle. As, as you said, Rob, he's need. very multifaceted. I mean, obviously, like he is, he is, uh, yeah. he is a number six, but he's he's a great player. He's got great passing range. He reads the game very well. Again, look, he has got that engine. He's able to cover cover ground, um, and like he's very very technically gifted. But then you did make a good point. Obviously, I know him and Thiago played together, but Thiago has often picked the ball off uh, the centre backs, and you know he has mm. played deeper, and, and he's, he's a modern number six. Mental, yeah. He's a modern number six. He's, he's done that for years. Like he did it at Barcelona even. You know, He's a modern number six. He'll come and get the ball. And then when he's at the top end of the pitch, he'll look like a number 10. So that's what midfielders are. You know, when you look at kind of the teams that have been successful over the last few years, there's always anomalies where one of them will have uh, a defensive midfielder. So for instance, again, Chelsea is a really good example. Uh, when they've had success, N'Golo Kante is a defensive midfielder, but N'Golo Kante can do like a million things. Yeah, he's not... He's not a player who can who just has to be Claude Makélélé. He's more Michael Essien. You know that type of player. I can go and do work everywhere, and I'm not just going to do it here. And I think United would be doing themselves a disservice if the whole team was built around a defensive midfielder. I think you'd just be very rigid. You'd be much more deeper. You wouldn't be able to play a higher press. You wouldn't be able to do all of those things because you'd be trying to just plug gaps. Neves has got some of the best defensive metrics of any midfielder in Europe. Absolutely classical, really, really good at what he does. And I think you want a technical midfielder. And, and he runs as well. Like, you know, we talked about Man United players not running in the past. Yeah, Neves is a worker. He works really hard. You can't get in that Wolves team unless you work. Yeah, good question here as well. Uh, guys, keep them coming and keep your comments coming. Some great comments and some great discussions going on today. Um, you know, from an attacking perspective, how will you, um, I think that's saying prove out the role of the 10. I think he's saying, you know, so how, how would that role work behind Ronaldo? 
trying to think of uh, Berghaus's role mm -hmm. when Haller or Dolberg type player plays, you know, which is Cristiano's profile. What I will say is that, you know, so when you have, uh, let's say it's De Jong and Neves, you know, they're going to be the players who are, you know, who are going to be possession heavy. They're going to start attacks and keep it simple. They're going to break lines. I think the key here is that those front players, so let's say Anthony, Ronaldo, Sancho and Bruno, quick interchanges uh, and combinations are so, so important in Ted Hag's system. And they're going to have to be playing in between the lines. So I think that's the key here. I think we're going to see a lot of fluidity, um, you know, especially in that, you know, the front four positions. And I think that, and, and we're going to see width from the wide players as well. So I'm actually not too bother, uh, bothered or maybe not too worried about who actually plays behind Ronaldo, whether it's Donny van der Beek, whether it's maybe Christian Eriksen. We've seen the links and the main United seemingly have offered him, uh, you know, some, some sort of deal. I think that whoever plays in that position, like the key for me is the combinations, the quick interchanges and moving the ball quickly. So that, that's, that's sort of how I think about it. I think Bruno's going to be, Bruno's going to be fine in that, that respect. I feel like when he has more time on the ball or he's deeper, he's wasteful. I agree. And Bruno Fernandes has got to prove it all again to me, Haydar. You know, like, I think he's a great player, but I'm not interested in great players. I'm interested in how you can help Man United win. Bruno didn't help Man United win last year. Same way for Cristiano. No, there's no kind of uh, mixing the oil or water and thinking that there's a there's a problem with the individual. It's does it make you a better team? No, I think if we flip to the next slide, that will marry in quite nicely to what we're saying about Bruno and playing about the midfield and the centre forwards. Is a the the Rashford slide because we do think that next year that that Marcus Rashford's going to play as a nine. This is kind of what we're hearing that it's going it's going to go that way. Um, have we got that slide? Oh, there we are here. Oh, no, it's just the Bruno slide. Sorry. Yeah, you've got that. And actually, sorry, you're right. We go back to the Bruno slide. Um, when you're, you're playing here with a false nine, will Ten Hag do this? Probably not. Why? Doesn't really play a lot with a false nine. It hasn't done the last year or so. He's done it in the past with Tadic at Ajax, but he's tend to go with the kind of lone striker playing at 4-2-3-1. As you see there, who have we dropped into there? Everyone's favourite, uh, Mr. Donny van der Beek. So Donny van der Beek could allow Manchester United to play a more fluid 4-3-3, kind of being as a, as a third-man runner, yeah? Allowing De Jong to sit in the eight, Nevis to sit in the six, again, being very fluid, mixing it around, and van der Beek joining a Bruno-type player in the middle or a Rashford or even, to an extent, a Ronaldo. But I think Ronaldo would suffer really badly in the system. They wouldn't be able to find him. He'd find it very, very difficult, I think, to just be stuck to the centre-back at the back there. But if we go to the next one, and we'll, so we'll kind of go backwards and forwards between them, this would be what you could do with the 4-2-3-1 with Marcus Rashford in there. And then you've got also Donny van der Beek, who can also play the Bruno role there. And I think that that is more likely going to be your second formation. So when we go forward in this season, I think you might see this kind of shape with these kind of players in it a lot more and Cristiano sitting on the bench. Because... Christian, I think, will be the starter, but there's going to be weeks, isn't it? I think we have to preserve him now. And we didn't do that last year, did we? We didn't look after him. We couldn't look after him. Everything was about Ronaldo plus whoever. And that was a bad look for Man United. So I think when you kind of look at those shapes and those systems, that's where I think Ten Hag will lean towards. So something I do want to sort of add as well is that, uh, you know, sort of Donny van der Beek. I mean, let's talk about him as well, because he is coming back. He's coming back to a manager as well. Who obviously got a real, real tune out of him. You know, he was he was really, really good in those Champions League performances. We saw Donny Van Beek score at Spurs against Chelsea. 
really good player. Obviously, coming back, new lease of life. Uh, where where is he going to fit in? Because uh, I think his best position is number ten. Yeah. Um, and obviously, now that Ten Hag is coming in, and there's a heavy emphasis on possession and movement, uh, something that Donny van der Beek does excel in. He's not going to pick a pass, and that's the key. It's, it's, the key is to understand, obviously, the differences between Bruno Fernandez, Donny van der Beek, Christian Eriksen. I'm just bringing Eriksen in because he's a player that will pick out. I mean, I mean, Liam has just sort of picked the question out of my mind. You know, what happens with Donny if we sign Ericsson? Um, Look, I think it's important in your squad to have different profiles. Uh, Bruno Fernandes is, is one certain profile. Donny van der Beek's another. But, uh, you know, how like how much of a big impact is it for Ten Hag that van der Beek's obviously... Uh, you know, sorry, impact for van der Beek that Ten Hag is coming in. Do you expect him actually to get more minutes? I expected to get more minutes, but Donny's got a long way to go. Like this is this is year one again for him now, isn't it? Like he went to Everton. Did he do all right? Maybe. Did he prove that he's a Manchester United player? I don't really think so. I think it's interesting. Obviously, we showed there the Olegan and Solskjaer team with the 4-2-3-1. And the more I think about that, the more I look at that. There's absolutely no way Donny van der Beek can play in that double pivot. Like we've seen it enough. But this double pivot he might be able to play in. It's a different kind of football. It's not about ball winning. Like we said, there. Like again, if you played a Neves and a Van der Beek, so you didn't get De Jong, you might be able to have Van der Beek doing that maybe transitional role in midfield. It's not what I'd be happy with, but it's certainly something that I think Ten Hag might experiment with. And I think that's what is important at this point, is looking at what the options are for Ten Hag. You just said about Bruno and Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen's definitely on Manchester United's radar, has been for a number of weeks. Manchester United have offered him a contract. You'll hear a lot more about that in the next two or three days. Um, and he would be a player to bring in that experience insert role. Just an important thing about Christian Eriksen. Two weeks ago, Christian Eriksen said, out of his mouth, I want to sign for a Champions League club. Yesterday, Christian Eriksen said, London. I'm not really that bothered about Champions League. So there we go. So he's kind of gone from, he's swung from one way to the other because he's looking at his offers. He knows what's on the table. But Christian Eriksen as well would fit the 4 2 3 1 perfectly. He could actually play even in the wider roles if you wanted yeah. to play something a bit right more side, narrow. Yeah. So, so Christian Eriksen coming to the football club would not necessarily impact Donny van der Beek. You know, it doesn't, they won't necessarily be two players that will tread on each other's toes. But it depends where they would be playing and where you would see Ericsson operate. Like I would rather see Ericsson operate as a 10. I think he's actually a better 10 than Bruno. So Bruno's got all the metrics, scores all the goals and great. But I feel see Bruno more as a, as a false nine in the future because he's got that goal scoring capability. But Ericsson is a genuine the stone cold creator. Get the creator, ball. Yeah. He can be deep. He'll look up. He'll find the channel. He can be in and around the box. He'll play one twos. He'll get Ronaldo shots off. And I think Ronaldo would prefer that much more than what he was getting last year. So Ericsson, yeah, wait and see on that one. I think he's a player that, that Manchester United do cover him and they do like him. And I think that he's ready for that move. He's going to go to a big club. It's either going to be us or it's going to be Tottenham. I think it's just kind of as simple as that as it stands today. Uh, and I'd love him at Man United. He would fit yeah. all of these things that we're talking about. Well, I've wanted him for years, Rob. I think he's, he was he was incredible, wasn't he, under Pochettino in that 2014-15 season. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, at one stage, I think he was he'd created the most chances since he'd come to the Premier League. I think it was him and Ozil at the time. He's mm. a great he's a great player. I know he is thirty, but you know, United don't have after losing Paul Pogba, someone that can pick a pass. Um, you know, I think United do need. To, obviously, we're getting De Jong. 
most likely yeah. joining. But they do need someone as well who can also do that and and have someone on set pieces as well because United have been very, very poor in that respect. Let's move on now. The final segment of the show, guys, as always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Manchester City and Liverpool, uh, which is very strange to do a Man United podcast, but that is the standard. That is the level that we want to aspire to be is where Ten Hag wants to be. He's obviously said era's end as well, which was interesting when he had that first interview. Um, look, both sides played 4-3-3 a lot of times last season. We've got City's formation here. I think what's interesting to first pick out, because we're having this discussion, and obviously a lot of commenters regarding that defensive midfielder position, you can see here a midfielder of De Bruyne, Rodri and Gundogan. You wouldn't say, you know, has... Uh, I suppose a lot of muscle. They're not players that will, you know, you traditionally put their foot in. I think Rodri is honestly, Rob, an absolutely wonderful player. I think he's actually one of my uh, favorite and most underrated players in the league. I know he plays for City because, as you mentioned, you know, he's got a real eye for a goal, eight goals last season. But he just keeps it ticking, he keeps it moving. He, he reads the game very, very well. Uh, positionally, he's fantastic. He's a great passer with the ball. He breaks the lines. He feeds De Bruyne and Gundogan. And I think Gundogan, most likely going, is going to be a big miss for them as well. But uh, City are executing the 4 through 3 I mean, they do it fantastically well. Uh, you see, obviously, Cancelo, who's been uh, very, very good this season as well. Then I've got Haaland. Alvarez has joined as well. I mean, where are you sort of, uh, you know, what are you thinking about this? And then how are you sort of linking that to Manchester United and, and Ten Hag? Well, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. The first one is we said that 4 through 3 is winning football at the moment. If you can do a 4 3 3 properly, you win. If you don't do it well, you lose. So you've got to be really, really careful. This is obviously Guardiola's shape. This is what he's developed over a long, long period of time. As you just said there about Rodri, Rodri is, has defensive functions, doesn't he? He'll go back. He can defend in terms of the space between the centre backs. But his primary function is to get that ball, turn, give it to Kevin De Bruyne, and to do it accurately 99 times out of 100. And if he does it wrong once, I bet you his manager's on his back. That's the standard. That's what Man United needs to do. It can't be McFred giving the ball away 30% of the time and then going, well, we did it all right seven out of 10 times. No, if you lose it that one time or two times or three times, you lose the game. It's as important as that. So when you look at City's system, again, nothing overtly technical about it, but this is kind of the positionless system of where players can move in and out of the shape. And this is a shape that really Cristiano Ronaldo could not play at Man City. That's why you've got a Phil Foden up there. And now, of course, they're putting a Haaland up there who might well be the modern Cristiano, wouldn't it? Fr you know, frightening. Frightening in terms of his potential and what he could do. But I'm also, again, I'm, I'm, I'm in that kind of halfway house where I'm thinking, I know he's great. I know he can do stuff, but he does suffer with injuries. So that's going to be a problem in the Premier yeah, League. that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And, and two... He's actually never really experienced this football before in England. He's English by trade. I think he was born in Leeds, wasn't he? And he's a Man City fan, he says, his whole life because he wore a shirt once when his dad was there. Okay, cool. But I would like him at my football club because he's so good. But at City, City are going to have to change some of their systems. That might hurt them. It might. Well, let let me challenge that. that. I, I actually yeah. agree. The injury point is what I've been saying a lot. But the thing is as well, the City have such a deep squad that Pep can afford to rotate and go and play Foden there, Alvarez there. What I will add to that as well is you're putting probably one of the most prolific strikers um, and converters of chances in the side that creates the most chances in Europe. Uh, yeah. And that, I think that's a frightening thing is that, you know, 
he's not going to be starved of, um, you know, like, like Ronaldo was last season, for example. He's not going to be starved of uh, chances and service. No, he won't be. And, and, and I also think the other upside for City is that Jack Grealish wants a striker by him. That's what he wants. And he hasn't had that this season. And I think that's why Jack Grealish hasn't really thrived at Manchester City, even though, of course, he's got a, a champions uh, championship uh, medal in his pocket. Um, but for Manchester United, and the other kind of part two of that is the link between Ten Hag and Pep and Bayern Munich and how his systems have been born from that period. Those two guys obviously work together. And Ten Hag is a big admirer of all of the Guardiola things. And let's be honest, when Guardiola came to England, there were lots of naysayers who went, he can't do it in England. His systems won't work in England. They're too possession-based. They don't. The ticky-tacker stuff doesn't work. It's not going to be a thing. You know, he'll come to England, he'll fail, he'll go. And he's come to England and he's basically revolutionised the game. He's changed it completely. 4-3-3 is now the go-to system that wins. And you can see with the shape of the team that he'll put players in different positions to make sure the shape is fundamental and is victorious. That's what matters to him. I think that's where Ten Hag will go eventually. So that's why we're bringing up uh, the City system. If you bring up the Liverpool system as well, because again, so we said they're obviously with the, the City system, they played that before, I think 20-odd games, um, but did move it around. Liverpool, in the Premier League last year, played 4-3-3, 38 times out of 38. Go-to no, system. 94 goals, Robertson. When everyone is fit, they play 4-3-3. And look at, the, look at the shape and look at the team and look at who these players are. We all know who they are and what they do, but let's look at the fundamentals. So you've got there with, you know, Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago. It's a mix. It's making sure that you've got players who can pass the ball, who've got a bit of energy, do the defensive function, but can think like that. You know, there's no, they're not going to dilly-dally on the ball. It's not going sideways like Man United, backwards and forwards between McFreds. It's not going to do that. They're going to get the ball, they're going to press, and they're going to get going. And then on the other end of the pitch, you've got there Salah, Jota, and Mane. And that, again, is all about the shape and the fundamentals of that. It works perfectly. They all know each other so well. Jota's came in, didn't he? And it's like he's been there for 10 years because he'll just go, well, I just play this role. They'll find me. Header, bang, goal with one another game. As you said there, 94 goals in 38 games is obscene. But again, what it proves is that 4-3-3 is a go-to system in English football. We'll get there eventually, Man United, but I think there's going to be lots of kind of experimentation, certainly in year one, where Cristiano is still on the books, because you're going to have to work around that problem. You cannot play this 4-3-3 that we're looking at here now in Liverpool and apply that to Ronaldo. You just cannot do it. He cannot do it at 37, 38 years old and be expected to run like any of that front three there that we see for Liverpool. But I do think that that's where we're going. I think that's where Ten Hag will want to go eventually and he'll buy players to fit that. Anthony fits it, can play in that top end. Sancho fits it. And dare I say it, I know people won't like it, Marcus Rashford does fit it. Just whether he will do it or not or be successful at it is a completely different question. Let's touch on the player because uh, right at the beginning of the show, I can't remember who it was, but somebody did ask the question, Martial. What mm -hmm. are we hearing about Martial? Look, I will be honest with you. When you look at uh, the qualities of a, a you know prime anti-Martial, when he's on his top form, he absolutely fits that number nine role like a glove I, I, for Ten Hag. You know, great in possession, link-up play, 
he's a good finisher. Uh, he can press. You know, he has got the capability to press. He's he's not the most um, what's the word energetic presser. Um, you know, but he he links up very well with Bruno, for example. You know, he links up well with the wide players. Marcus Rashford really thrived playing with him. Bruno Fernandez played his best football. And Martial is number nine as well. Look, he he's re- his stock's really low. He didn't have the greatest uh, loan spell at Sevilla. He's going to be back in Man United. They want to sell him, but they're probably not going to be able to get him off the books. 250 grand a week salary, which is very, very, uh, very big. Is there a way back for him? You know, is there a possibility he'll play? We've mentioned Marcus Rashford as a number nine. You know, that's probably where he'll play this season, um, which will be an interesting prospect as well. So could you see that, you know, maybe him, Martial getting a chance to rotate with Ronaldo and maybe making that position his own? Making the position his own, not so sure. You know, I, I think the doubts about Anthony Martial are very real and I understand why people have them. And I, you know, I do believe that that he's had a bad period. He spoke recently about the injuries that he's had over the last 12 months and he said that they've really affected him in terms of his top game, not being able to produce his best form. Um, and that the trip to Sevilla was to get fit to come back to Man United. So it's quite interesting him saying that. Um, we do know that Ten Hag likes Anthony Martial. He's a player that he's spoken about in the past. Um, I think he's more likely going to like him from the left rather than as a centre forward. But we've seen that Ten Hag has played wider plays through the middle at times when he's played fluid systems. So Tadic himself has kind of gone from a wider player at times at Ajax going through to being a centre forward at times. So I do think that you're going to see quite a bit of Anthony Martial in a Man United shirt next year. He's going to be part of the rotation. Um, it's just whether or not he can produce his top form. The season before last, obviously, when he had his big year, what was it, 23 goals, I think he scored? Yeah. Can you imagine if you got 23 goals out of Anthony Martial last year? Man United walk the top four, don't they? Walk it. You know, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably still the manager. So there's a big difference there for just one player can actually make for you. Um, I think Anthony Martial is really talented. Whether he can come back to United and do it is another thing. I think it's really tough once you've gone on loan to come back and then be like Jesse Lingard. You know, Jesse Lingard did it last year, was brilliant at West Ham, came back, just couldn't reproduce anything that forced his way into the team. I get the feeling that Martial will also be that kind of player, someone on the outskirts of the team. But, hey, Dart, important. You must have these players in and around your squad. Like, I, I know everyone wants to sell everyone and get rid I've just seen their name there, uh, Ahmed and Palestri. Absolutely, they're going to be I really in. like the look of Palestri. Uh, yeah. I think he's someone that I want to see get a chance on the right-hand side. Totally. But if you're buying Anthony, it's not happening. So this is the thing. So these two players, Ahmed and Palestri, will be involved in pre-season. They'll be recalled and they'll be part of that uh, trip to Australia. And we'll see a little bit of them. Do I think that they're kind of on the cusp of being starters or not? I, I, I think they're probably behind Garnacho. As, as, as it stands today. Um, but um, Ahmed, I think, might go back to Rangers and I think Palestri will probably continue on loan somewhere. And Palestri's done really well. You know, I think he's a growing player. But it's about the squad, isn't it? You're trying to build a squad here and these guys have all got a stake as long as they come in at pre-season and actually do the work and show the manager that they're good enough. Well, let's finish on the final word. We've got, look, that was episode one. We've got so much content coming. You know, we've got nine more episodes of, you know, the 10 days of Ten Hard. Um, Final thoughts, you know, sort of on Ronaldo and Ten Hag and the systems we've spoken about. We've spoken about the qualities uh, and characteristics of uh, Ten Hag's Ajax. Very, very impressive. Possession heavy, uh, you know, a lot, lot of chance creation. And that's where I think Ronaldo will really benefit. Like, he can still score goals. There's no doubt about it, you know. 
you give him a chance, he'll score goals. He's still very, very, very clinical. The way I'm sort of seeing is, uh, you know, obviously Ronaldo is here. He's got one more year. We are going to see um, him start games. I- I'm more than happy just to see him start, one, you know, even once a week, preserve him because he looked, he looked, he looked like he could play. You know, we were seeing with Ranić, he's playing twice a week, um, and he was just he couldn't even control the ball. Remember, we were talking about it on the Mastercast. The ball was bouncing off. His touch had gone. Um, I, I do think we'll see, we'll probably see a happier Ronaldo next season in terms of because of the fact he'll have service. He can go and, you know, score goals and he can do what he likes to do. Uh, but I think long term speaking, United will still need a number nine and they will need to replace him at the end of the season. I probably would have looked at doing it this season and I would have rotated him. Uh, but obviously there are more pressing areas in this squad, namely the midfield, uh, which need to be addressed. And Anthony coming in will help Ronaldo's cause for sure. There, there's definitely more pressing issues at the moment. So it's a bit like the De Gea question that like we will talk about goalkeepers in future episodes of 10 Days of Ten Hag. Do you need a sweeper keeper? Yes. Are you going to buy a sweeper keeper this year? No. Just the way it is. You just cannot buy every position in one or two transfer windows. You're going to have to elongate that process. I think with Cristiano, I think after last year's lessons that Manchester United should, should have moved to potentially move him on, I think that's that's the truth. I'm talking about that as a pure football business decision of looking at him and saying, does a player help you? If you're going to pay someone 25 million, Haydar, you better be winning the Champions League. Like, it, honestly, it's a huge wage, half a million pound a week. You know, players don't get that money in general. But yes, he's Cristiano Ronaldo and he'll sell you a billion shirts. We get that. But can he help you win? The big challenge for Cristiano this year is to not only score goals, because he will score goals. He'll score 20, 30 goals next year with his eyes closed. Those goals have got to matter. And that means staying in all the tournaments, all the competitions, winning every week. I need Cristiano to go away to Watford's of the world. And Watford are not there this year. But, you know, these teams towards the bottom of the league and bury them. That's what you need Ronaldo for. He wasn't doing that last year. He was getting his goals now and then, a hat-trick, a hat-trick, a hat-trick. Everyone's happy. But let's be honest, Manchester United's season last year was a disaster. And I put that firmly on the shoulders of the senior players. That's the way I look at it. Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the most senior players. Cristiano's got to do better this year. But like you said, I think he might be happier. I think he's coming now with a new manager here, kind of a new construct to help him score goals. and to, And just to kind of, Make sure it all works, like the glue is there. And I think it would have worked with Ralph, but they didn't want to listen to Ralph because Ralph was going. So they're like, we're multimillionaires, Ralph. Off you go to Austria. Well done. Thanks for your counter-pressing. So you're not going to see counter-pressing next year, I don't think, either. I really don't believe you will. I think we'll see some of it at times. But this will be about how do you get Ronaldo going and looking after his bones a little bit more because this is it. He's old now. He's going to have to sit on the bench. I don't want to do the whole one game a week thing, Haydar. Like I think you know if he needs two or three weeks off at a time, go. You know let's 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 really manage him properly. Maybe he should start. You know, out of seventy games next year, maybe he should start thirty tops, twenty five even. He's old. You know, he ca- he cannot sustain it in the Premier League. Um, but he's well, what, here. What 37 year old can? And he's a, he's a, he's probably the, no one can. Physically, physically, you know, you look at him and Zlatan, but like, you know, Zlatan, Zlatan came back from injury, was, was yeah. shocking, wasn't he? Remember, obviously, he had a bad Zlatan, injury. Zlatan. He's gone to a slower league now, Serie A, and he, and he obviously, he wasn't playing week in, week out. You saw Rafael Leal was a player 
that was stepping up for AC Milan, scoring the goals. But Zlatan was there for the personality in the dressing room, you know, and he was very, very integral. In that literally respect. playing on one knee, like yeah. literally, you cannot do it in England. Like I think this is the whole thing. We don't, we don't want to get over over the top about the Premier League, but it's so physical and so tough. And if you want to play like Liverpool City, you've got to be physical and tough. And and I think last year what we saw at Man United was they were weak. Weak emotionally and physically and mentally. In all of those areas where they needed to be absolutely rigid and strong, they weren't. And that's why the season was so bad. You're going to have to go again with some of those players. But you hope that I think with the new manager that he'll be able to kind of get into their psyche a little bit more. And the Ronaldo issue, hopefully for me as a United fan, won't be so much of an issue when I go to games and watch it and he stood on the halfway line with his hands on his hips. I don't want to see it from any United player. I don't care if you're Ronaldo, whoever. But at least it might mean that the other team is kind of, the rest of the team is working with him and they've got support and they're technical players. I think that will help Cristiano not just score goals, but win games. And we'll finish on that, guys. Make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. This is episode one of 10 Days of Ten Hag. It is Ronaldo and Ten Hag Tactics. Make sure to give this a uh, retweet as well. You can see it on Twitter. Give us a follow on at TF Masterclass. Give myself a follow on at Hayden underscore Robani. And give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, 7 p.m. BST. And we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.